That's better than anything I've got to say. Let's just call it a day and go on home. Fort Epine. Good morning. Good to be with you. Isn't it fun to laugh and be together with people you like? You know what? Uh, I was uh, thinking something as good as what you've got at this church. I guess you invite new people each week, don't you? Don't you invite somebody to come with you? Because this is too good to keep hidden under a basket somewhere where you can come to church and you don't have to come in like this and you can laugh and you can pray and you can sing. Isn't that band terrific? Golly. If they would just add a banjer and a mandolin, it would reach the pinnacle. You know, seven-eighths of a, a, a glacier is beneath the water, an iceberg, seven-eighths of an ice, icebergs beneath the water. You only see about one-eighth of it above. And uh, when you come and get to enjoy a service like this, and I, I so enjoy this church, uh, it's hard to appreciate the fact that I'm only seeing the tip of what goes on in this church. All of the behind-scenes work that takes place, the number of volunteers get here early and volunteers are here doing I just appreciate the ministry that people have, whether it's the guys in the sound booth, those who are playing, uh, everything that's going on in the children's area, out in the uh, welcoming center. That is a marvelous ministry that people are performing. In fact, many people find Christ not because of the message, but because somebody out there smiled and welcomed them and encouraged them to stay and be a part of this church. And I want to congratulate you on a well-rounded ministry. One time I was with uh, Greg and Ben's mom and dad, and I said to them, I said, you know, if I could, I'd like to adopt those two guys. I've learned better since then, but, but Greg, Greg, Greg's mom said, over my dead body. <laughs> there was no way. You have a pastoral leadership team. They, those who work with youth, the adult, kid, everybody out there, couldn't mention all their names. God has given them to you as gifts. The scripture refers to them in the original text as charismata. They are gifts to this church, and you are gifts to them. So God bless you. I'm talking about fighting fair. Now, something about that seems at odd with being at church in the morning, but here's the assumptions going in. You know, back in the old days when I was helping do research, we talked about what are the a priori assumptions going in to this project. What do I take into it with me? Here's what I'm thinking. That if there are two people here today who are friends or relatives, husband and wife, or a young couple that will get married at some point, I want you to understand that the time will come that you're going to have some kind of tension between you. It's normal. There's nothing abnormal about two people experiencing tension. Sometimes that tension will grow until it becomes a conflict. And sometimes that conflict will lead to a fight, whatever kind of fight it is. If handled properly, conflict can be dealt with. If handled improperly, if you don't fight fair, it'll destroy a friendship, it'll destroy a marriage, it can destroy a family. If you're a young couple and uh, anticipate, or an old couple, my gosh, people get married up until they kick off. If you 
are preparing for marriage, one of the best things to do right now is learn how to fight fair with one another. It can save your marriage. And the scripture that I chose is one that I used uh, some time ago speaking here from uh, Songs of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. And uh, it simply states in the KJV, Take ye the foxes, the little foxes, that spoil the vine. And it is mostly little issues not dealt with properly in a marriage or in a family that become larger issues that inflict pain and hurt and at times result in terrible conflict within the home. My goal today is to talk with you about that conflict just a tad, the way we sometimes fight dirty when we're fighting in our marriage or in a relationship, and then maybe leave with you an idea or two about ways that you can change the fighting rules. You've heard that statement, and uh, they rode off into the sunset and lived happily ever after. That's true in marriage until they have that first fight. Sometimes it occurs on the honeymoon. I remember when we came home from our honeymoon, I think we had 56 cents in our pocket. That's not an exaggeration. We had been to Niagara Falls. We had a wonderful honeymoon. We got back a few days later. We got into a little conflict at the kitchen table, and I wanted to make sure she knew that I was the man of the household and I wasn't going to stand for it. We had a little dinette set in a little teeny apartment, and I jumped up to walk out of the room. I was going to show her who was boss, and when I jumped up, my wallet hooked in the back of the chair, and I walked out of the room like a turtle with a chair on my back. It was very humbling. I wished that I had learned how to fight better before I got myself into that process. So two or three points as we go into this. One, fighting and tension within a relationship, conflict in a marriage is universal. It's there. I don't care what society you go into. You may be those who will tell me you've never had a crossword between you. I wouldn't argue with you. I would just think that you found ways to express crosswords through sign language, body language, or removing yourself from the room. There are those who will tell you we have a fight every week. It's good to clean the pipes out once in a while. I don't know about that, but but whatever your style is, there's fighting. It goes back all the way to Scripture. You'll remember that in the Garden of Eden, uh, Adam and Eve made a bit of a mistake. I don't know who blamed who. I've found it very convenient, ladies, to blame you for all the problems in the world for offering the apple to that dumb man who was very willing to eat it. Well, in their home, later conflict developed, serious conflict, so serious that one of their sons murdered the under, other son. That's about as bad as conflict can get. And then you have the issue of Jesus. When he was 12 years old and his family went into Jerusalem, they were going to worship. They got about a day's journey away, and they looked in the back seat of the car. They looked on the rear donkey. They looked somewhere and said, where's Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? No, I haven't seen Jesus. Talk to the brothers and sisters. I haven't seen Jesus. Do you know where Jesus is? And Joseph said, Mary, I told you to watch out for that boy. And Mary said, he was under your care. Why didn't you watch for him? And they went one day all the way back to Jerusalem 
And where did they find Jesus in the temple talking with the theologian? And he was confounding them. Now, that's just a little levity to let you know that even in their family, there were those misunderstandings. And later on, uh, out of Jesus' talk in the temple came the Messiah or developed into full-fledged the Messiah, the Son of God. It's always there. David, one of his children, raped one of the other children. They tried to kill David. There's been tensions there all along from some of God's choice people. And I assume that you're going to have some kind of tension in your home. Now, this series on uh, the family feud, I loved it when Ben sent it to me by email and told me what the theme was because every family feuds in some way. Good Christians, sinners. People who do not know anything about church, you're all going to feud at some point. So the first data point, drive a stake in the ground, is it's universal and you're going to do it in your way. So how do we accommodate that? Generally in the home, tensions arise from one of three areas. One of those areas is what I call environmental factors. My dad was the sole keeper of the thermostat. They lived in a little row home in Baltimore City. He believed that it was uh, against all principles of humanity and God to turn that thermometer above 70 degrees in the wintertime. So he sat around with his sweater on. He put on long underwear in October, and he wore it till April. Not the same, I assume, but he wore it to April. And if you touched the thermostat, he put on his glasses, and he would go over, and he'd go over and look at the thermostat, and he'd say, who, who touched this thermostat? He was the keeper of the thermostat. My mother, and I would accuse them, my dad was always right, and my mother was always innocent, would just sit there and look sweet as an angel and not say anything about it. Thermostat, who keeps the thermostat in your house? Who's always cold in your house, and who's always saying it's too warm, turn it down, turn it up? Who turns the TV down because we play it too long, too loudly? In my house, Wanda Lee will tell me, you turned the television up and you walked out of the room. Where is the control? Well, I'll carry the control with me just to protect it. Where is the control? And she'll go into one of these panic searches. I criticize her a little bit because her purse is the lost sea. Everywhere we go and she tries to get something out, there's about 30 minutes, it seems like, of I mean, she's down in here and she says, well, I shouldn't carry all this change. She's got all of these reasons for all this stuff in her purse. And it's creating, I think, this in her as she, as she carries her purse more and more. But I always, well, why don't you clean that purse out? So we've got all of these things in the environment. It's too hot, it's too cold. Whose socks, who, who left their socks in the den? Any of you guys leave your shoes in the den and you're not supposed to after you watch football? Tonight there will be football on television. It's a sacred time in most households. There shouldn't be much talking. It's a time of actual sort of a worship of the football guys, whoever they are. But a lot of times after we uh, sit there and watch the game and we yawn and we scratch our stomachs, we walk away and our shoes are still there. Or the towel is on the doorknob. Or our socks are on the floor. And we've been asked many times, why do we have to wait till the garbage can is overflowing before somebody will take it out? Do I have to be the one who always takes the trash out? That environment at the house. Then secondly, 
a second area, and it's still in the house, that has to do with our values and all of those things that we call priority. That's, uh, hey, hon, I was wanting to, uh, to uh, stay home tonight, but, but, uh, but no, dear, you, I promised the Smiths that we were going to stop by there tonight. Well, I kind of like, I just want to stay home. Well, I'd like to listen to the radio. No, I want to watch the TV. We go through all of these kinds of issues that have to do with priorities, the friends I like, the friends I don't like, the kind of car I drive. Are you going to go out of the house looking like a slob? Uh, are you going to put something, some of the dress on? Did you comb your hair? <laughs> Did you comb your hair this morning, hon? Have I introduced you to your comb or not? We've got all of these things. And one of the things I love about this church, it took me a while to adjust to it. You come to church the way you come to church and the way that's natural for you. You are welcome here, whether you have a suit on, whether you have whatever you've got on, assuming it's not a thong and a bikini. You come to this church because your personality, your personality, it's allowed to be expressed so that you can come and focus upon the Lord. And that's kind of the way the home should be. Now look, tensions occur between mom and dad, but they also occur between parents and child. I was doing great as a father until we hit the teen years. Uh, when we got to the teen years, I had to drop back and punt a little bit. You know, we spend, uh, we're, we're starting to pack a lot of books, and I've, I've got several thousand books at home in my library. And so I'm trying to get rid of a lot of them. I drove people half-price books nuts last week. I took in about 15 boxes of books. I got $10. I got $10 for them. Uh, it's a, that's $10, but I thought they were worth more than that. But I, you know how many books I had on fishing? I had about 15 books on fishing. Then cast this. Uh, I had one on golf. You got to, you know, if you play golf, you got to learn how to hold the club right. How many of you guys have books on golf? How many of you have books on fishing? How many of you have books on Bengals or football or baseball, good reading. No problem with that. How many have a book on raising a teenager? I didn't have one on raising a teenager that I bought on my own. It came with my psychology training. But enter from stage right, this happy marriage comes a child, and it's all goo-goo and dada, and it's great. And one day they go through something that we call puberty. We are yet to figure out what puberty is. We think we know what it is, but I see people 45 years old that I think are going through puberty. We still haven't gotten fully there, and that child doesn't like my music. There's only one way to go with music. That's Southern Gospel. <laughs> and if you want a good backup, it's bluegrass, bluegrass gospel. you got to pick and grin and do all of those things and enter from stage right this creature that looks like my wife comes in and is listening to stuff I never heard of before, stuff I can't understand. What do those words mean? And when you fix dinner that we've sat down and all had dinner before, this is wonderful, this is dinner time. We sit down to have dinner. I don't like that. I don't like that. No, I had a McDonald's hamburger. I'm not hungry. And try to get up for school. And all of a sudden, that peaceful little kingdom called your home. And I'm exaggerating. Maybe. I'm exaggerating a bit to make a point. That is suddenly a family that was once a couple, now with children, instead of two personalities trying to get along, we have three, four, or five, or six trying to get along in the same house. That's called tension. 
That's called stress. And you better learn how to get along and fight fair, or you or one of the other members will either lose your mind or decide that you're going to take out a warrant on your whole family and have them arrested, which you cannot do, by the way. I guess you could do that. So I want to talk to you when those times come and you get into fights. Did anybody, no show of hands, please, did anybody have a good fight this morning at the house? Sundays are great days for fights. Too long in the bathroom. When my wife uses her hair, dra uh, hair dryer for some reason, it blows a fuse if she does a certain thing. Still haven't figured out what it is. So you go down the steps to the main floor, then you go down the steps to the basement, then you can't see and you feel your way over and you turn the switch on and she does that. And I think it's a plot because she does it at times when we're in a hurry and I've got to get there to do something very important and it blows the switch. Good fights occur on Sunday. The question is, how do you fight? You are believers and followers of Christ for the most part. And in a moment of very seriousness, the way you handle tension will be one of the litmus tests of your walk with the Lord. And as followers of Christ, we are not being measured by what we say. We're being measured by what we do. Our behaviors, do our behaviors honor Christ? And sometimes in the middle of a conflict, when I'm dealing with some pressure, or when Wanda Lee and I are disagreeing, one of the questions that will go through my mind, Bill, do you know that Jesus Christ is watching you now, and in the midst of this conflict is what you're doing honoring him? And that's a very humbling and very sobering thought for me. Here are some people who fight dirty. I'll see if you measure up to one of these. The first one is the dishonest person. This person uses deceit, or, and they sneeze in service. You can always tell those people. They use deceit or evasion of sharing of their real feelings and sneeze in service. Those are the dirty fighters. And here's the way they come out. Uh, no, what you said didn't hurt me. Mm -mm. <laughs> you can't say anything that will bother me. No, that didn't hurt at all. And no, I'm not angry. Did you ever see that? No, I'm not angry, and inside there's all these worms walking around. That person would be far better to say, that did hurt me. I'm not ready to talk about it right now, but I want this afternoon for us to talk about that. I can't deal with it now. That's a dishonest person. The second one is the accommodationist. That's the person that's always trying to please the other one. No matter what happens, whatever you do is fine with me. Oh, honey, can we go out and... Uh, uh, can we go out and eat at, what's a good restaurant around here to eat in? I say Cracker Barrel, but that shows my roots. Uh, can we go to the Cracker Barrel and eat? Okay, it's fine with me if that's where you want to go. What's the body language say? It's not really fine. Uh, I'd kind of like to have a pizza tonight. No, hon. No, 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 no. Oh, well, okay, go right ahead. Let's have a pizza tonight. Always accommodating instead of saying, we ate there before, why don't we this time think of another place to eat? The third one is the martyr. The martyr is the person who suffers in silence. She likes to tell you how much she puts up with little old Charlie. You know, I married him. Uh, there are things I would change, but you know, uh, I can handle it. I'm going to, to deal with it because this is something that I put myself in that position. Or he says, you know... Uh, she hasn't, <laughs> I better not say that. I, she, 
<laughs> I married her, and I'm going to honor her. Now, let me just mention, most everything I say has a legitimate time for you to be that way, but not if it's to avoid dealing with a deeper hurt or a deeper truth. An infection in your body must be dealt with, and an infection in a relationship must be dealt with, or it will bury itself and create significant problems at a later time. So there are times when you do accommodate, but there are times when there's such an issue that it must be dealt with or it will lead to significant problems. Just one or two more, the punisher. This is the one I like best. Any of you in here that will join me as a pouter? Do we have any pouters in here? I love pouting because I can justify it intellectually better than any of the other ones. You know, I'm thinking, I need some space. And I generally, a powder combines it with one of the others. You've really hurt me this time. You know, I've put up with this for years. I've sacrificed for this family. I've gone to work when I was sick. I brought you a paycheck in. No, I don't want to talk now. Pouting is great because it lets you punish them. See, you can punish them but you can't be accused of punishing them. That's a great passive-aggressive technique. If I pout at you, you can't tell anybody I yelled at you, right? If I pout at you, you can't say he hits me, he belittles me, he berates me, because I'm just pouting at you. I'm pretending like you're dead. I'm reducing you to the lowest person on earth. You're not worthy of my great intellectual conversation because I'm pouting at you. Pouters, pouters are very destructive very destructive. Don't be a pouter. Force yourself to say, this hurt or I'm angry and I want us to work through this, if not at this time, some other time. Pouters break the heart of those around them. Dad's just pouting. Mom's just pouting. They're just pouting at each other. Don't be a pouter. Then what I'd like to do is emphasize one more time, pardon my, my note, I'd like to remind you that as Christians, you're going to have conflict in your home. Jesus Christ, through his death and offering, he redeemed us. But we live within a society and in a body that is made of clay, and we have wants and dislikes oftentimes that are not healthy. There are times when we have to go to our knees and beg forgiveness for our sins, and as a loving God, he reaches out and he forgives us and he welcomes us back. He sets the model for what we should do in our marriage. I am not a perfect husband, nor, were, nor have I been a perfect father. And there are times I need forgiveness. There are times I need understanding. My wife, as lovely as she is, is not a perfect woman nor a perfect wife. Uh, for the sake of one, I know you really are, hon, but I'm just telling them this so that you understand. Uh, the point is, we are imperfect people, and we're going to have conflict and tension because we get our nose bent out of shape over stupid little things and sometimes giant issues, but nonetheless, it is incumbent upon us to come together, and when we fight, we've got to fight fair. Look at this. If you're going to fight, you choose the time and place to fight. In private practice, people got in a fight in my office. I said, time out. I said, tomorrow at 4 o'clock, let's meet down at such and such a restaurant. 
We're going to sit in that restaurant and we're going to talk like we're civilized people. We're going to talk like we're believers. We're going to talk like we're sane. Don't walk around the house screaming back and forth to one another. Go sit down and talk like you're normal human beings. The bedroom is the worst place to fight. Don't get in that bedroom before you go to bed and act like you're going to knife each other and viscerate each other and look like you go in there and you put on your boxing shorts and one gets in the corner. That is a sanctuary. The bedroom ought to be the place where you come together and you can shut out the world and you can have the person you love and care for in there and you can feel safe. And if you're a single mom or a single dad, don't tolerate arguments with the children before you go to bed in the bedroom. Don't fight at the dinner table. If you're going to fight, fight fair. Make an appointment to fight. I don't care if you say, in this ring and in this corner, dressed in red. I don't care if you go through all of the rubrics of that. But the point is, if it's worth fighting over, it's worth taking time, getting it out of the sacred places of the house. Go down into the moldy, dampest part of your basement in a corner and fight there. Don't leave that emotional blood all over your house. Choose the right time and place to fight. The wise person understands what I'm saying. That means all of you understand what I'm saying on that point. Secondly, attack the issue or the act, not the person. You know those socks I mentioned or those shoes in the den? Have you ever been told you're the sloppiest person I've ever seen? Well, you're the worst cook in the world. He keeps the sloppiest garage I've ever seen. That is a sloppy garage. Everything's in it but the car. The youngster spills milk. That's the clumsiest kid I've ever seen, and he looks just like just the way she does that. If you're dealing with it, let's talk about the act. I told this morning, it was one of those things that comes into your mind when you're speaking. I took my boys deer hunting at AEDC in Middle Tennessee. It's the Army Engineering Development Center. We went in the night before we were going to camp out. This was going to be dad. I was going to be their hero. I was the great hunter. I wanted them to know my prowess out in the wild. So I went in that night with a bunch of these thumbtacks that reflect light, and I stuck them on the tree as I walked into my stand about a half a mile back in the woods. And so we got up early, and I fixed breakfast, and I walked around and checked your guns, and is your knife sharp, and all of that stuff. And we went into the woods, and I got them placed. Then I tried to find my tree stand, and somebody else had put thumbtacks all over the place. I got totally lost. I tore my pants. I had briar scratches all over me. I got hung in briars at one time, and I thought I was going to lay there and die. For 45 minutes, I was lost. And then, you know, in the woods, some of you hunt. If you're up in a tree stand and somebody comes to your stand, you take your flashlight and you shine it on them. Come, come near me. So I had somebody, I walked up on the stand, and they shined it in my eyes, and I kept walking, soaking wet, and it was 20 degrees. And I finally... <laughs> sat down acknowledging that I was lost and the sun came up. This is a funny part too. Guess where I was? I was right under the tree I was looking for. I was actually leaning against the tree I was trying to find. But after the great hunter got his boys together, Frank said, Dad, did you see that crazy man in the woods? There was a guy crashing and, and falling all over the place and he came up to my stand and he said, Dad, I took my light and I shined it down on him. And he did go away. 
I didn't see any crazy guys. I told them that I'd gotten lost, and I was so embarrassed. And I'll never forget Frank's nice little words to me after I was uh, feeling a little humiliated. He said, you know, Dad, it's so easy to get lost in these woods. He gave me a break, didn't he? Whenever something's going wrong in your household, give each other a break. Don't list past mistakes. My goodness, I've made so many mistakes. If Wanda Lee brought those up, she would take hours and scrolls to go through them. But she doesn't list my past mistake. And then deal with the person you're angry with. Don't come home and kick the dog or yell at the children. Deal with one another. You've hurt me or I feel anger. You've, you've really upset me. We've got to talk about this. And I related to this week we had a terrible situation. We had to call in children's services. A woman, uh, the daughter came in and she was bruising her mother and thrown her to the floor and kicked her in the side. And we found out this had been going on for a week or two. And we found out then that the mother and father were divorced or divorcing and they were both frustrated and angry and she has taken out all of her hurt and pain on her child and she was abusing her child. And you see, so many times we take it out on everybody around us, the people we work with. We take it out on our children. We take it out on the wrong person. Confront. If you want to fight fair, go to the person you're dealing with and the hurt you're dealing with and get it handled that way. And then finally, don't win the battle and lose the war. Are you a person who has to win every argument? Do you have to win the argument? I'm kind of like that. I've had to change. I've had to work hard. Part of it is it just takes too much energy to win every argument. But I had to reach a point where I understood that a lot of times it was my way or the highway, and I was wrong. I was wrong. Don't stand there and argue just because your ego is on the line. That's dirty fighting. If you've got a point to make, it's legitimate. Schedule a time, sit down and talk about it. Listen to another opinion. There are so many people who, when you're saying something, they're trying to interrupt you so that they can express what they're saying before they've actually heard what you've had to say. I can do that. I can feel like I'm omniscient, and I know what you're going to say before you even say it. I'm only wrong 80, 90% of the time. <laughs> That's not a bad batting average. Don't win the argument. Don't win the battle and lose the war. Don't drive your spouse away because your ego is so large that you have to walk away feeling like you've got the last word. And I'll tell you one of the most dangerous statements I hear from couples is when the person says, uh, I only have one more thing to say. Let me say this one more thing and I'll stop. It's never one more thing. And then finally, have you ever thought about praying about it before you talk about it? I am convinced, I am convinced that two people who will stop where, when they're livid and ready to knife each other, if they'll stop and say, let's just wait a while. And if you go in your separate ways and pray, I was frustrated one time when we were first married and I was yelling and acting like an idiot at Wanda Lee, who was this sweet little girl from Alabama. And I said my piece and I walked out of the room and I went back a little later to find out where she was and she was in the bedroom and she was on her knees and she was praying. And I heard her say, oh Lord, make me a better wife. 
I was being depleted. It was my ego. Folks, Satan wants to destroy your marriage. Don't let him do it. God bless you. And if you need outside help, don't be afraid to get it. There are great people out there who will talk with you. You must fight fair. Let's pray. The Lord, sitting in front of me are some of the most wonderful people in this state. Some of them know exactly what it is to fight and lose and to fight unfairly and lose and to fight fairly and still lose at times, but some know what it is to fight and win. I pray, O oh God, for the young couple that's anticipating marriage or for the couple that each has been through the uh, divorce and they're they found one another and they want to unite in marriage, that you would help them to come to terms with dealing with conflict. For the couple that's been married, but it's like two people who are married but have separate lives living in the same house, minister to them so that those deep issues can be reconciled. We pray, Father, that in all that we say and all that we do, we will honor and magnify the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. Thank you for this marvelous church and for its leadership. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for letting me be here to speak with you. Hey, in just a few moments, we'll celebrate communion together. And before that, I'll take a moment and share with you what that means and how we'll do it together. But prior to that, if you would, grab your Connect card back out and let's consider some next steps that we might take. If you're newer around here, I want to take just a moment and explain to you this process. We really value getting together and singing wonderful songs uh, about God together. We value getting together and hearing messages preached from God's word. But we also value just as much knowing what to do with the experience and how we can take that home and live it out on a Monday through Saturday kind of basis. We do that through taking next bold steps. So at the end of every message, we ask you to grab your card like you've just done and consider taking one of five steps that might line up with something you feel like God was leaning in on you about as, as Dr. Balzano uh, spoke today. So the first one is one that we do every single week. Uh, it's, if you've been around church for a while, you might have heard this uh, through an altar call. But every week, we like to give people an opportunity to accept Jesus as the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life. You might say that uh, you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the very first time. So if that's something that God's been working on you about and you feel like now is the time you would like to take that step, you can mark A on your Connect card as an indication of what your heart is. And a little bit later when I pray, you can just ask God to seal that moment and make it real in your life. But just mark step A if that's for you. The second one is, is uh, baptism. If you would like to go public with your faith, you've decided to follow Jesus, but you haven't been baptized as an adult, you can mark that box. We send you some information about the upcoming baptisms, or if you have questions, you can ask them through that format. Just mark that box, and we'll be in contact with you. Now, C, D, and E line up more directly with what we've been talking about throughout the day today. The first one, C, maybe this is you. Maybe you just want to, as an act of confession, admit that you don't always fight fair. And one thing we know is true as followers of Jesus, that if we'll hide God's word in our heart, memorize scripture is a practical way to do that, that at times when we need it most, a lot of times God will bring those scriptures alive in our, in our minds and in our lives. And so if maybe you don't fight fair, you can mark step C as an indication of that, but also maybe you want to consider memorizing 
the verse that Dr. Balzano started with, the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, verse where it talked about the foxes who go in and ruin the vineyards. Maybe you want to memorize that. If you'll mark that box, we'll send you a reminder of what that verse was. And you can memorize it, hoping that in those times when you get ready to fight unfair, you'll be reminded that the unfair fighting you're about to do really does destroy the vineyard, destroy the crop, and it destroys relationships in your life. Or you might want to consider next step D. Maybe you mostly fight fair, but you're in a relationship where other people don't fight fair with you. You can mark next step D as an indication that you have a family member who doesn't fight fair. And then this week, you want to pray, much like Wanda Lee did, Dr. Bill's wife, that God would just give you patience and wisdom about how to respond in the situation that you're in. If you'll mark that box, we'll actually partner with you in prayer as a pastoral staff that God would be with you as you navigate the muddy waters of relationships that you're going through. And then E, this is one that all of us might want to consider marking. This goes back to what Lisa was talking about earlier. If you want to help us make sure that our community that we live in doesn't go hungry this Thanksgiving, you can mark next step E as an indication of your heart. And like Lisa said, we'll send you some reminders uh, to help you remember to bring the canned food in over the next several weeks. So with that said, you should be finished with your Connect card. You can set it down. I want to talk to you for just a moment about communion. When I'm finished, I'll invite you to stand and we'll come forward and take it. But if you're familiar with the story of Jesus, just before he died, just before he was crucified, he got together with his closest friends and he shared a meal together. And they shared some wine. And when they were sharing wine, Jesus said that he wanted them to remember as they drank the wine that it represented his blood that was poured out for the covering of their sins. And we're going to do that together in just a moment. And he also broke some bread with his friends and they ate it. And he said, as you eat this broken bread, be reminded in the future that my body is broken so that you can be made whole. And we feel like it's important as a follower of Jesus together that on a regular basis, about once a month, we simply do what Jesus asks us to do. Remember his death and the pouring out of his blood and his broken body so that we can be made whole. So we're going to do that together now as Will and the band sing a song. You'll simply do it by, if you're in the middle sections, you'll stand up when I tell you. Come down to the front center section here, and there'll be a person with a plate. You'll grab a piece of bread off of that. You'll stick it in the larger cup, which is wine. And then you'll take that piece of bread that's been dipped in wine and stick it in your mouth as a reminder of Jesus' blood and his broken body. Or if you prefer, you can dip it in the smaller cup, which is grape juice, if that's the way you would like to go. If you're sitting on the wings, you can simply exit towards the walls, go down to those front corners and do exactly the same thing. So with that said, would you stand with me? Let's say a prayer and then partake in communion together. Bow with me if you would. God, we love you so much. And like you suggested we do, God, we want to on a regular basis get together and remember that it is your poured out blood that covers our sins. God, we also want to be reminded of the fact that it was your broken body, the the broken bones, the pierced side, the, the nails in your hands and your feet. You went through all that so that our bodies and our lives could be made whole. So today, God, as we partake in communion together and celebrate your death and your resurrection, help us remember how important it was what you did, how much you loved us and the sacrifice you made. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can come forward.